I'll give you a little hobby horse of mine, if you, if you will. Uh, I love actually studying or reading stories of the Old West. Uh, I, my, one of my favorite Westerns is Bonanza, the Bonanza show. Uh, years ago, when actually our, my wife and I were on deputation, we got to go to Lake Tahoe and actually go to the Ponderosa Ranch where the site where it was filmed. Nowadays, now, back I think it was in 2008 or 9, I think it was sold to a private company, and now they do their own thing with it. They don't, it's not open anymore. So we were there when it was still open. And believe it or not, uh, Hopsing's Kitchen is really, really tiny. But again, it was just for, uh, for film purposes. But nonetheless, uh, I was listening to a little story uh, about uh, how New Year's was celebrated. And yes, it was celebrated in different ways. And you can imagine the pioneers and cowboys and everyone going out west and establish, getting established and all that. But uh, believe it or not, that uh, January 1st was not considered a, it was a holiday, but it was a working holiday. People still went to work. There were still government businesses were open, everything else like that. It was a normal day. But over the years, obviously, it's become an official day off, so we enjoy that. But you know what, the Lord, God never has a day off when we think about that. And we thank the Lord that we can go to him anytime. So uh, today, we're going to kind of look at a very, very tender, precious passage of Scripture today, probably a a psalm. We're going to go to the books of Psalms today, chapter 90. And in this psalm, I think you'll find encouragement. I do often when I read through the psalms. And I think in starting this year, actually, I was... um, kind of preparing something else. And those, if you understand in the pastorate world, a lot of times you get studying into something and, man, this is really good. And then all of a sudden you like hit a roadblock and said, man, this just isn't making sense. And the Lord just directs you to another passage. And uh, I'll probably still preach that passage a little bit later. But nonetheless, the Lord just kind of in my study and devotion time directed me here to Psalm 90. And I'm very thankful for it. Psalm 90. We'll read through the entire passage together. Psalm 90, the word of God says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away with a flood. They are like sheep in the morning, and they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Thou hast, been, thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in light of thy countenance. For all thy days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale or a sigh that is told. The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? How long? O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein thou hast seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. As we think about this year, and I'm sure you probably remember, maybe last night you were sitting, what was 2022 like? A lot of times we reflect, and a lot of times there's new stories that kind of give the highlights of the year, uh, different things like that. And I want to say this for our church, for Victory Baptist Church, 2020 year, 
was a great year of, of many blessings. God worked in some great ways throughout the year in ways that many times we didn't expect. Let me just give one quick praise on this past Wednesday night. Wednesday night, if you weren't here, you missed a blessing. We had over 60 people that were here for our Hanukkah party and Christmas candlelight service. And uh, we ate some great jelly donuts made by Linnea. And by the way, there was tons of other great food. Again, for everyone who brought something, thank you so much. Everyone thanks you so much. Okay, it was great. We had a, just a great time. I want to say this. I was telling Aaron Zachman, he's of course in from college. I was telling him this morning, I think that was probably the largest number of Baptists in a while that celebrated Hanukkah. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, it was a great time. And we looked at our Lord as being the Jesus Christ, as being the light of the world. What a, what a blessing that was. We had people, family members that were here. It was just a really blessed time uh, together. That was one, one blessing of many. Uh, we saw some great things. Again, we, because of different schedules, we actually had our annual prophecy conference that was uh, held back in April of, of, the, of the last year. I can say last year now, okay? But what a blessed time that was. Our missions conference that we had in October, uh, the way that the Lord worked through our two speakers, to the Jew first and also to the Muslim, what a tremendous, uh, our hearts were greatly challenged. And throughout the year, we saw God work in some great ways, and we give him glory. And this year, we anticipate other great things as well. Uh, in fact, coming up in April, we will again have the Prophecy Conference. Probably in the next week or so, we'll share more specifics about it. But in April, towards the end of April, we will be having uh, Brother uh, Dr. Richard Schmidt back with us. He agreed to do that. We're so thankful for that. And um, we're expecting, hopefully, this next year, we'll have a, uh, a revival meeting as well, probably in the summer. So we're st- working on a few details. But God has done great things for us where we are glad. And in this year, we expect God to do great things as well. We also know that with the great things, great challenges have come to our church family in the, in the past year. And we know that we are not immune from challenges this year. It's the way of life. We understand that. I, re, I was reminded over this weekend that today, January 1st, a year ago, is when our dear brother in Christ, Andy Sherbing, went to be with the Lord. Today, a year ago today. Starting out the year was very difficult in 2022 for our church family. But yet God was gracious, and we saw his hand work, and still is working through the Sherbing family and many of our hearts. We dearly miss Andy. I still look back. I see Davey and Drew back there. Those are good guys, but we miss Andy too. Later in the year, too, we, of course, grieved with the Myers family, with Roger Myers passing into eternity. We know that he is rejoicing in the presence of his Lord, who he faithfully served. And we deeply miss Roger. Our hearts go out to your family at this time. Uh, A few months ago, uh, Bob Honey passed away. And uh, his wife, Terry, is uh, still, she's actually in the hospital. Talked to her on Friday, and she's uh, back at the hospital at Methodist. Please be in prayer for her, that God would just uh, deeply touch her body and give her strength and healing during this time. Not sure how long she'll be there, but she's going through some trials herself. Uh, about a week or so ago, George and Dorothy Holskoff, they have uh, ended up getting COVID and ended up getting really sick and uh, to the point where Dorothy actually had to be taken to the hospital. She was there for a few days, and actually, I'll be honest with you, about a week ago today, they thought they were going to lose her. Things were getting very, very tight. We sent out an urgent email to our church family. By the way, if you're not on our church email update list, please let me know. We'd be glad to include you on that so you can be notified of just the happenings at the church. 
But uh, George and Dorothy went through some trials. The, the doctors found out that she was actually having internal bleeding, and they thought they were going to lose it. They had to do blood transfusions. But uh, praise God, the Lord had his hand upon Dorothy. The doctors find out that she had 10 stomach ulcers, which makes sense of the internal bleeding. But nonetheless, uh, the Lord had his hand on her, and I got a, I actually talked to their daughter Sue this past uh, Friday, and she was elated. It's like, what's going on? She says, Mom came home last night. She's, Dorothy and George, George are back together. They're back at home. They're still having strokes, still a little bit weak, still needing some assistance, but they are rejoicing in God's care and hand upon them. I mean, seriously, it's a night and day difference from where we were a few days ago. And then as most of you got the word today on, on Friday, I got a call from, from Mark Walter, LD's son. And LD, many of you, of course, those who have been here for a long time, LD was before you, okay? LD was one of the foundation stones, if you will, of this church, and we're grateful to, to LD's service. But anyways, for those who don't know LD, and by honest with you, I have only known him for a few years, but first time I met LD, my word, you, you can't forget him. He's just a wonderful guy. And, um, but anyways, uh, LD has been getting weaker. Obviously, he's, he just turned 94 back in August, so he's, he's been doing pretty good. But anyways, he's been getting a little weaker with his age and health and issues. But anyways, um, make a long story short, his health has been declining, and he was needing some, some surgery on one of his toes because of an infection. And fortunately, uh, LV, uh, has COVID. LD has COVID. And so because of that, they had to postpone the surgery. Make a long story short. And by the way, I'm giving this as permission from the family, so I'm not uh, sharing anything uh, not out there. But anyways... Uh, so LD, basically, uh, because of the infection, they can't do the surgery until it gets better, but we don't know what that is, but they believe that the infection might have just gone too much. Re regardless, um, LD, this was his decision, talking with his doctors and family, that LD is now in hospice. And so, um, I, but I, I want to say this, LD has been one who has fought the good fight of faith. And I am very thankful for men like LD, people like George and Dorothy, People like Bob Honey, Roger Myers, and Andy Sherving. And as I think about this, we are not immune in our Christian life to be free of struggle, to be free of, of trouble, to be free of grief. It happens in different ways, and it might, it's not, the situation that you may face is really not unique. It's unique to you, but it's really not unique in the grand scheme of things. And so I think as we think about the, the happenings, our, there's folks in our church family, others who are sick, others who are traveling, things like that, that are going through some trials. And what do we do? How do we present that? And this is kind of a somber way to begin this message on a New Year's Day. But I believe that there is hope. And I want to say that in God, our eternal God, there is hope. There is hope that we can cling to, that we can believe in, that we can trust. And as we think about that, and the title of today's message is, Teach Us to number our days. In other words, make every day count for eternity. That is, so I want to leave you today with hope, that there is hope in Jesus Christ. My hope is in the Lord who gave his life for me. We began our service with that song. We're going to sing that through the month because we don't just say, oh, I'm hoping that's just, we think of that's going to be a band-aid, folks. But no, that is real hope. That's real life. And we can trust in our eternal God for the hope that he gives us. And so today, I want us to focus here on Psalm 90. In this precious psalm here, this was written by Moses. 
In fact, this is the, the first psalm ever written, is here, Psalm 90. Psalm, David, excuse me, Moses here, the great, great leader of Israel, he's actually one of my heroes outside of Jesus Christ, probably one of my top heroes in the scriptures. But here's an interesting thing. When we look at Psalm 90, and it says here in the, in the book of Psalms 90 in verse 1, it actually begins a prayer of Moses, the man of God. By the way, when you see that little line above, that is actually part of scripture. Okay, that's in the original text there. Okay, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. When you see that here, this timing of this, the suggestion that the time of this described, we don't know exactly, but definitely during the wilderness wanderings of Moses and the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt. And in Numbers chapter 20, uh, many commentators believe that this is the historical setting that's understood, that's recorded. As you think about Psalm 90, what happened in, in Numbers chapter 20? A couple things. This, first of all, was the death of Miriam, Moses' sister. Also, we find, we read about the sin of Moses striking the rock in the wilderness instead of speaking to it. He disobeyed, which kept him from entering the promised land. We also see in Numbers 20 was the death of Aaron, Moses' brother. So a lot of things happened there. So a lot of grief, a lot of troubles that were going on. But in Moses, as he is writing this, you can see him maybe writing at the door of his tent as he's looking over the tents of the children of Israel. The 12 tribes that were there that just came out of Egypt a few years before that, perhaps. And as he sees that, he sees the wilderness. He sees the mountains in the distance, the mountains which would be modern-day Saudi Arabia and Jordan, Egypt, and that region. What was this man like, Moses? I like what Charles Spurgeon said. When we look at that first phrase, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. What is this referring to? I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Moses was peculiarly a man of God and God's man. Chosen of God, inspired of God, honored of God, and faithful to God in all his house. He well deserved the name which is here given to him, Moses, the man of God. And so when we see this, this passage here, Moses is writing on his life, his, his viewpoint, his perspective on life in general, but specifically as it relates to him and the children of Israel coming out. Again, this is the oldest psalm, not not Psalm 1, the Psalms itself are not written in chronological order, but Psalm 90 itself is the oldest psalm written by Moses. So what is Moses in a psalm writing? He's writing as a prayer to God, a prayer of Moses. What is he writing exactly? He wants us to first know this. What does he want us to know? Number one, in the wilderness wanderings, number one, know that God is eternal. In the wilderness wanderings, even of your life, know that God is eternal. Look with me again in verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. We have an eternal God. God, first of all, what do we know about our eternal God? Number one, that he is our dwelling place there in verse 1. He's our dwelling place. Another word that Moses actually, if you look back in Exodus or Deuteronomy 33, for example, another word that's been used there is he has been our refuge in all generations as well. So God is our dwelling place or our refuge. And so here's an interesting, think about this. Put yourself in the sandals of the children of Israel during those 40 years of, of wilderness wanderings. And I want you to see here is this, as with Israel in the wilderness, even so we in our wilderness are in constant need of refuge shelter, and protection in the wilderness of this life. When you think about this, that is our life. This world, praise God, is not our home. We're just, as the song says, a passing through. 
Praise God for that promise. So right now, in a sense, we are in a wilderness and we are always in constant need of provisions. We're in constant need of shelter, of protection. This is something that the children of Israel had to rely on and they had to rely on God to supply their every need. The book of Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Isn't it a blessing to know that we can rest in our eternal God and his everlasting arms. Praise God for that. But here's another thing, and I like what Warren Worsby said about this, this passage here, that when Moses is writing this, he's been our dwelling place, our refuge. Wherever Moses lived, God was always home. I love that. Wherever Moses lived, God is always home. In, in light of that, let me just say this, that for a believer... A believer is never truly homeless in God. You understand that? A believer, a Christian, is never truly homeless when you have God. Because God is our home. Sure, we might not have a roof overhead that one day. I think Aaron, while he's in college, he's been living... Are you still living in your van? No, okay. <laughs> he's in a dorm, but still. A believer is never homeless when they're with the Lord. Isn't that true? The fact that God is our eternal refuge and strength. Praise God for that. You see this. Who is this God that we have refuge in? Our home is in the God who changes not. How do we know that? Verse 2 says this. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, or basically his creation, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. This talks about his power that we see here. In his presence, and his eternality. God is eternal. He's our eternal dwelling place. He's our eternal refuge. And today, I want us to know, as we teach us, as God teaches us to number our days, that we should make every day count for eternity. How do we know this? By first of all, recognizing who we are in Christ, that we are with God. God is eternal, and he is our refuge. But what's the opposite of that? I think what's comparison to that is this. As God is eternal, what are we? We're temporal. We are not eternal. We're finite. Okay? We have limitations. We all know that. And so how does D- uh, Moses respond? I keep saying David, but we know it's Moses. Okay? If I, if I mess up, you just smile at it and say, yes, pastor, we know what you mean. Okay. All right. What does Moses say in verse 3? Thou turnest man to destruction. He's talking to God. God, you turn man to destruction and say, it's return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday when it is past. And as a watch in the night, thou carriest them away as with a flood, and they are a sheep in the morning, which are like grass, which groweth, which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up, and the evening is cut down and withereth. So in these verses, basically Moses is sharing that each and every one of us, as God is eternal, we're just the opposite. We're finite. We're temporal. We're here just for a moment, okay? And so how does he say this? First of all, it says in verse 3 again, that turnest man to destruction, we're literally to the dust, as it says. It's really what is this? Moses is reminding us what God pronounced upon Adam at the Garden of Eden at the fall: "From dust you are from, and for dust you shall return." Okay. Even at a funeral, we are often reminded that that we, in a sense, are dust. We are made from dust, and to dust shall we return. And so we are finite in that. And why is that? It's because of our sin. It's really a kind of a, a recall to return, you children of men. 
Because why? Look in perspective. What is our life really like compared to our eternal God? Verse 4, for a thousand years of their sight is about yesterday when it's passed as a watch of the night. We know that with God, and, and Peter, by the way, says in his epistles that a, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. We understand he's looking more so in the light of prophecy there. But even so, our life is quick in a moment. It's interesting when we talk about a thousand years as one day. Uh, by the way, if you haven't, I pray that you are reading through the Bible on a regular basis. You should be, okay? I read through the Bible probably twice a year. That's my personal goal. But today I'm reading through Genesis. What is the oldest person who ever lived? Who is the oldest person? Methuselah and his wife, Methuselina, okay? All right? I have a Jewish friend. He's, he's passed away now, but he always would talk about people who are older than the dirty call it Methuselah and Methuselita. That's another story. But nonetheless, does anyone remember, Bible scholars, how old was Methuselah when he passed? 969. So he never made it to the thousand-year mark. No one has on this earth. In our bodies that we have, no one has ever reached that number itself. So when you think about that, from God who is eternal, really, what's 969 years? What's 120 years? What's 70 years? What's, for Andy Sherbing, what's 26 years? That is just a blip, a vapor, if you will, in, in, the, in the, basically in time. What our life is like this, and in verse 5, verses 5 and 6, Moses describes three ways that our life is eternal, or excuse me, is temporal. In verse 5, he first of all says that we are carried away like with a flood. Just as a flood sweeps away things, even so our life is swept away. The idea that is here, and this is, would be perfect in the desert setting, in the wilderness setting, would be like a wadi. A wadi is a dry riverbed. Uh, living in Israel, we, we saw this happen several times during the rainy season. Uh, the rainy season begins around November and goes until March. That's the time of year when it rains. But if you're out in the desert, which doesn't get much rainfall, okay, uh, if you're by the Dead Sea, you get maybe about an inch of rainfall a year. But here's what happens. When the rains come during that time, you might not see it where you are near the Dead Sea. However, if you get rains up in the Judean hills, what happens is this, that rain comes and that floods and basically those dry riverbeds all of a sudden engulf. There's been story after story every year of hikers that are going back and walking on these riverbeds. And before they know it, there's a rush, a torrent of water that comes at them. And this is exactly what life would have been like for the children of Israel in the wilderness, in the waters, those dry riverbeds that would flood in an instant. Before you knew it, you were swept away. Even so, Moses is saying, that's how our life is like. Our, the second illustration he gives is this in verse 5. They are asleep in the morning. We're thinking of it as, it's like a dream. How many of you remember, maybe you had a, a dream last, even last night. We all dream from time to time. I rarely meet someone who I never have a dream. Maybe you're one of those. But you have a dream, and it was maybe it was so vivid something incredible happened or scary, whatever your dream was. But the next day, when you wake up in the morning, you can barely remember it. Ever have that? Yeah, we have all been there, most of us anyway. And that's exactly what our life is like. It's like we can barely remember what we did last year, which was last night, okay? <laughs> but that's the idea. Our life is just like that. It quickly goes away, and we forget even what happened. And then the third illustration, and here he parks a little bit, is in the end of verse 5, our life is like grass. Mankind is like grass which groweth up, and in the morning it flourisheth, groweth up, and in the evening is cut down and withereth. And again, put yourself in the sandals of the children of Israel. You're out in the wilderness in the desert. And if you're in the Negev Desert, which is southern Israel going into Egypt uh, today, the Sinai Peninsula, when you go into that area, when you do have those spring rains, 
what happens is it turns that barren wilderness overnight, it turns it to a flourishing grass-filled hills and mountains, flowers bud. But guess what? It doesn't take much for a heat, like a Sharab heat wave, to come and basically wipe out everything that was just there a day before. Even so, our life is like that. It's quick. It vanishes away. This is the idea. But here's the thing. The God who is above time, who sees a thousand years as yesterday, here's the thing. It says in verse 7, For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath, and spend our years as a tale that is told. Okay? So in looking at this, the God who, again, is above time, who is eternal, who sees again a thousand years as yesterday, has the right and authority to judge mankind because of sin, especially over his own people. Why is our life just like that, a vapor, like a dream, like a rushing, uh, a sweeping flood? Why is it like a blade of grass that's here and then gone? Why is it like that? Because of our sin. We are eternal creatures. Our souls are eternal, okay? God's word is eternal. Our souls are eternal because we are created by the God who is eternal in that. But our mortal flesh is here. It's, it's, it, be honest with you, this is not our real life, folks. We have a great life to come. It's glorious, okay? But in doing that, the effects of sin that is upon this world, because of Adam's fall, we sinned all. The wages of sin is death, okay? Because of this, we know that there is a punishment for sin. God will judge sin. Those that are made public, verse 8, this iniquity set before thee, and also our secret sin, our sins. If there's something that you're hiding, God knows about it, okay? You can't escape God's eye. He will judge sin. And because of sin, there is a consequence of sin, and that is death. That is why we have death. Every funeral, every news story that we hear uh, of someone passing away is a result of Adam's, the, the curse upon man because of our sin. We cannot escape that. There was a judgment of sin. Now, here in the children of Israel, as they're wandering through the wilderness, remember what happened. The children of Israel, they get out of Egypt, they cross the, the Red Sea, they go to Sinai, and then all of a sudden, they, they should be getting ready, heading to the promised land. But what stops them in the way? Does any, let's do our Sunday school time right now, okay? What happens to the children of Israel? What stopped them from going to the promised land? Which was what? Disobedience. What happened? Remember, 12, spe- uh, 12 spies went, went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? 10 were bad and 2 were good. Remember that song? Okay, what, is that ha- what happens with that? Okay, we find the children of Israel, they basically believe a lie. We can't go in there because they didn't trust God. We saw these giants in the land. We were grasshoppers in their sights. But Joshua and Caleb says, no, we can do that. Okay, and so what happens is this, that they, because of this disobedience, the children of Israel did not believe God, and God said, that's enough. Everyone who was 20 years of age and upward would not be able to go to the promised land. They would die in the wilderness because of sin. That's the ultimate thing. Let me share with you a little story of what happened. Years ago when my wife and I were in Hebrew school in Ulpan in Israel, and uh, during the course of one of the classes, our Hebrew teacher, by the way, I I loved our our teachers. They were fabulous. But uh, one of our Hebrew teachers, one day they were talking about this story. It says, why? And the question was this. Why couldn't Israel go to, uh, to the promised land uh, after, after Egypt? And uh, why did they have to wait 40 years? That was the question. Why did they have to wait 40 years in the wilderness? 
And uh, I raised my hand and I said the Hebrew word chet, uh, which is sin. And she said, uh, well, yeah, but her answer was this. They weren't ready. <laughs> By the way, that is actually a common interpretation in Israel. The children of us simply weren't ready. Folks, the Bible is clear as day. They sin and God says, I'm going to judge sin. Those, those adults that were 20 years of age and older would die, would perish in the wilderness. There was a judgment for sin. As we think about this, I think there's something that we should understand as well, that because of our sin, we are in a world of sin and we deal with the effects of sin as even a greatest uh, setting as even a church service is. We all deal with the effects of sin. We are all there. I like what Alexander McLaren said this though, but entrusting God as our refuge, understanding our true position that we are temporal because of our sin, God is eternal. I like what McLaren says. We do not understand the fullness, full blessedness of believing that God is our refuge till we understand that he is our refuge from all that is destructive. Nor do we know the significance of the eternal experience of decay and death till we learn that it is not the result of our finite being, but of sin. Folks, the, re the reason why we have problems in this life is because of sin. I can't make it more black and white than that. People try to give remedies, programs, situations. I mean, we're thankful for the help that is, but it, it, that will never cancel out sin, folks. The greatest utopian society that can be imagined will always have in the back, the back seat, sin being in people's hearts. How do you deal with greed? How do you deal with theft, the anger, the lusts of our heart, things like that? Those are always present. And that is the result. That is why in God will judge those sins. It says in verse 10 of the psalm, the days of our years are three score and 10, and by reason of strength, they be four score years or 80 years. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So, and we, when we think about this, is a blessing, according to, 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 David, or excuse me, to uh, Moses when he writes this, our years, our average years are three score and 10, 70 years. And it basically, by God's blessing, is 80 years. But what comes with those 80 years? I was talking with my mom last night, and uh, my, uh, my grandmother, if she were alive today, she'd be 105. And my mom said, well, knowing my grandma, she says, that's too long. I couldn't do that. That would be my grandma. That's how we should see that. But when we think about that, it, as years are added to our life, really what comes with it? Just more, according to him, there's more sorrow. As soon as come off, we fly away. Again, we're like the grass, the flower of the Negev desert. Our years, relatively speaking, are short. And when we think about this, think about your genealogy, your family tree. How many know the names of your grandparents? How many know the names of your great-grandparents? How many know the names of your great-great-grandparents? Okay, I think there's two hands. <laughs> you think, think this, but that's your family. That's where you came from, and you don't know that? The thing is, is, my point is this. Our life is short. Our life is a vapor. And we barely remember, even a few generations ago, who it was that even brought us into this world. This is our life. This is the point of that. But here's the thing. Our years are short. I like, when you think of Moses' life, how old was Moses when he died? He was 120 years. The Bible says that his eyes did not even wax dim. He was still strong. The Lord was the one who, who took him out, basically. But 120 years. And in Israel today, when you want to wish someone a happy birthday, you would say, Yom Haledet Sameach, which means happy birthday. But then you would add, Admea Esrim, until you're 120. 
So when you are given a birthday blessing, happy birthday. Does anyone here have a birthday today? Happy birthday anyway. All right. May you have a happy birthday until you're 120. Why is that? You're given the blessing of Moses. May you live to be like Moses, strong and with life and health and strength and God's blessings. What should we do now, though, in our days that we are given? I like what Ecclesiastes 12 says. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So what should we do? What is our response then to be? Being, we know God is eternal. He's our eternal refuge. We know that our life is temporary. We're finite. And because of sin, we know, I mean, all of us, will, unless the Lord returns, which I pray could happen, yes, this year. Wonderful. That'd be wonderful. But in, unless, that, unless that happens, we all know that we all will one day face death. That's a, re, that's a reality. How then should we live according to that? How do we make every day count for eternity? The answer is found here in verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So in verse 12, in the shortness of this life, we should cry to God, God, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto the wisdom. This year, this verse here is the turning point of the psalm. And the question I have to ask you then, in light of everything that's going on, what is life then worth living for? What is life then worth living for? This is something. And knowing the brevity of this life, we must see life from God's perspective. What is valuable? What is eternal? That's the idea that we have here. The idea here, so teach us to number of days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. The word apply here, actually in the Hebrew, has the idea of getting something or gaining something, gaining wisdom. So as we, here's the thing. God's, or the prayer is this, from Moses, Lord, teach us to number our days. You know what? We have a birthday. We, we number our years, don't we? But you know what? Really, according to the Bible, what should we be doing? We should be numbering our days. Not making every year count, but making every day count. This is the message that we have in light of the, the problems that we see is to make every day count for eternity. I like what Paul said in Ephesians 5. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What? Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Make every day count for eternity. So in doing this, how do we do this? We must make every day, make the most of each day by living in obedience to the Lord and living according to wisdom in his word. I like what Warren Worsby said this. A successful life is composed of successful days that honor the Lord. Not successful years, but successful days that honor the Lord. Here's the point. When we look at this passage, when we look at verses like 7 through 12, and now the rest of this passage, comparing this, first of all, those verses look like life is grim. Remember back in Hee Haw, gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I've had no back luck. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll sing it for you later. But you meet some of those people. Life is grim. But here's the thing. Now the next few verses, when we learn to number days and apply wisdom, see life from God's perspective, life then becomes glory. That's the perspective. This is the turning point of the psalm. Before, life is grim. I tell you what, to a lost world, what is there to live for? A Vikings game later today? All right. It's here today. You only remember the score next week, okay? All right. This is the thing. Life is grim compared to what? Life is glory. Here's the point. When Jesus Christ is your Savior, the future is your friend. So our prayer is this. Lord, in this time, what is our prayer? In the next few moments, we'll share what that prayer is. 
Look with me in verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that they may rejoice and be glad in all thy days. This is a part of a prayer for today, and I say a prayer for a new year. And the prayer is simply this, Lord, while we are living today, in the midst of a fallen world, and even with my old sinful nature in a, in a way, Lord, be gracious to us. That's the prayer. This calls, first of all, for a restored fellowship with God. Repent and turning to God, verse 13. But now we learn three lessons for the wilderness. I'll say this very quickly here. The first lesson from the wilderness, the wilderness of Israel and the wilderness there and the wilderness of your life. For number one is this, seek God's mercy. Verse 13 says again, sat, or 14, excuse me, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all the days. Seek God's mercy. Seek, satisfy us early. This is the picture of, of manna. Remember the daily manna that came to Israel. God provided for them in the wilderness. What a tremendous time. This kind of reminds us of what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. God will satisfy our needs, and he does it with his word. Do it early, by the way. This is a, a challenge for us to daily be with God, spending time with God in his word and through prayer. I pray that will make a daily habit. How many have had our New Year's resolution? Maybe you've already broken it. I don't know, but spend each day with the Lord. Somehow, some way, spend a time with God's people in his house. This is important for us. There are great blessings of daily time with God. Also, make us glad for our, the Bible says, for our affliction is but for a moment. We're working for us far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Again, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. The next part here is not just to seek God's mercy, but also to focus on God's glory. Skip down to verse 16. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. I pray that we would see God's glory, and the children of Israel did. The, the Hebrew word for glory here is the word hadar, which means God's splendor or majesty or magnificence is the idea. Israel saw God's magnificence and saw his glory. How did they do this? They saw the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. God provided provision, manna and quail, for example. He provided water over rock. He provided protection for them, and he provided his own presence as they experienced there at Mount Sinai. God his glory was revealed to the children of Israel. But that's our, our point today is focus on God's glory. Look at the wonders that Christ has done. Look at the works of God that God has done in your life in the past year and on a daily basis when he gives you his daily bread. Also, when we see this, when our need is great, remember that God's surpassing grace is greater. Also, let our work then be the Lord's work. Look at verse 17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Twice it's mentioned here to establish the work of our hands. Here's the idea. Let our work be the Lord's work. Very simple. Let our work be the Lord's work. Establish thou the work of the hands. I like what Spurgeon said. When we have withered like the grass, our holy service, like gold, silver, and precious stones, will survive the fire. That's what matters. I like what uh, C.T. Studd, this is a poem, maybe many of you have heard this before. He wrote this. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Make every day count for eternity. The key to then to living wisely, to teach us a number of days to get wisdom is this. The key to living wisely is knowing our eternal God in our dwelling place, our refuge. As he was a refuge for those who came before us, he will be our refuge today. 
Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let us live passionately for the Lord while we have breath. Therefore, Lord, teach us to number our days. Let us live wisely, for the future is glorious with Christ. There's hope. There's hope. 2023, no matter what come, let us do that. Seek God's mercy. Focus on his glory. Let our work be the Lord's work. May the Lord bless you, and Happy New Year.